Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today we are joined by John Cole, co-founder of Hyperlane. Hyperlane is a modular interchain messaging protocol. It is a chain agnostic interoperability layer between blockchains that allows developers to send messages from one blockchain to another. Messages can contain any arbitrary bytes and are not limited to text. Hyperlane offers an interoperability API that apps can integrate to communicate across different blockchains, as well as an SDK and tooling which allows developers to build unique interchain apps that can be accessed by users on any blockchain. Hyperlane is not a traditional asset transfer bridge, but an information bridge which can be used for a wide variety of applications. Welcome, everybody. So our today's guest is the project Hyperlane, cross-chain communication platform. And yeah, I'd like to welcome our guest, John Cole, the co-founder of Hyperlane. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Excited to you know, tell you all about Hyperlane and answer kind of any questions that come up. Perfect, perfect. Really appreciate your time here. Yeah? to join our AMA today. So before we start uh, diving deeper into Hyperlane, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background, what, what brought you into this uh, blockchain space, because I've seen you were uh, engaged into the traditional finance sector. And this is yeah, quite the opposite of crypto. <laughs> so it would be uh, an interesting story yeah, to, to learn how, how you changed your opinion yeah, to move to, to Web3. Definitely happy to tell you all about it. So um, I've been in crypto for about five years now professionally and a little bit longer kind of as a hobbyist. Um, but as I just, uh, just mentioned, right, I used to be at Morgan Stanley. I was a bond trader before uh, leading up until basically like the end of 2017, where that's where I officially went into crypto. Uh, so I guess, how did I even start working for the banks? Because I'm someone who has strongly disliked the banks, uh, because we're, you know, we're recording this, I'll use nicer words, strongly disliked <laughs> uh, banks. And uh, like, just, I would never thought I would work for one. But um, I went to school at this university called UC Berkeley. And there, if you weren't an engineer, you basically were going to one of two places if you were kind of like a high achieving person. You were going to end up on Wall Street, usually in, in, in the investment banking division of one of these banks, or you were going to work at a consulting firm uh, like McKinsey or uh, Bain Company or uh, BCG, you know, the Boston Consulting Group. And I had kind of, you know, Going into my uh, junior year there, I'm like, I don't come from a family that's very wealthy. I was always supporting my parents financially. And so similarly need to make sure that I am one of those high achievers who is going to have like good enough earnings prospects so I could pay my parents' mortgage. Uh, and it came down to me. I had an offer from uh, Bain and had an offer from uh, Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley just had a better vibe. And I'm going to admit it, they offered to pay more. Uh, and money was very important back then. Right? Every dollar really counted as I was supporting both like myself as kind of a you know, young mid-20s 
guy and supporting my parents and you know, helping them pay down their house because um, my dad couldn't work anymore. And while I was in Morgan Stanley, a friend from school one day was like, hey, I, um, John, I'm going to put all my money into Ethereum. And this is like, this is a very close friend. And I know he has a decent amount of money for a guy in his early 20s. He's probably sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars that he's made through his businesses. Um, was always like a very entrepreneurial guy. And I'm the only one in his orbit that knows anything about money that works in finance. And so he's really like, should I do this? Like, is this a bad idea or a good idea? I was like, I don't know. I don't know that it's good or bad. Uh, and so we spend that weekend and we really dig into Ethereum. And I just become infatuated with it. So I grew up in Israel where the banks, ask any Israeli person, they'll tell you the banks are super corrupt and crooked. They really treat you as, um, they treat you as like a little piggy bank. They think you give them money and like once you give it to them, it's theirs and they let you use it from time to time. Um, but they aren't very friendly banks. And I had been screwed by them as a teenager. I had been screwed by them as in my early 20s and I've been screwed by them again in my mid-20s. And when I come to the United States, so I've been in the U.S. now for about 12 years. When I came, I was one of the Wells Fargo clients that had the honor of having um, their bank steal from their account. Mm. And so here I am thinking like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm coming to this like amazing place, America, and I do love America. And the one thing that like my bank will never hurt me. These, are, these banks are like upstanding. I used to talk so highly of like the American banks because I thought so little of the Israeli ones. And I get screwed by them as well. Oh my God. So when I read... <laughs> in the Ethereum world about like, wait a second, this is the first thing in my life that I had heard of that actually offers the chance for anyone to kind of, you know, build financial instruments, right? Like I'm working as a bond trader. I am uh, playing part of the role of, uh, of capital markets in the global financial system. And so I, I'm not so jaded that I think it's totally unnecessary. And so this Ethereum really was the first thing that seemed like it has a chance of building a parallel system, like something where the prospects of being screwed as I had been before, where like literally my bank would not let me access my money or banks like uh, in, my, in one case, right, with Wells Fargo took money out of my accounts, things that felt really despicable. It seemed like Ethereum was building the first thing that was really going to offer a counter to that. And so I become infatuated with it. Like that weekend, this was like the summer of 2016. My entire life changes because I go back to work that next Monday and I am, I can't stop talking about it. And like these guys on the trading desk think I'm totally crazy. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? What is this crypto thing? And I'm like, we're all, none of us are going to have a job soon. Like we're this, this thing, it's going to replace trading desk. It's going to replace banks. You guys. You know, it might take 15 years, but it's coming for us. And I became, this, you know, very focused on just finding work in crypto. I don't know anybody. So it took me about a year. Uh, from that moment in time, it really wasn't until the fourth quarter of 2017 that I had uh, begun to meet enough people in crypto and, like, found my first opportunity. But there was this basically a year-long process of just becoming more and more and more infatuated. And my life's never been the same ever since. Uh, that's when I just knew, like, I'm going to work in crypto no matter what. 
And I started off as a small-time miner. I just set up my own, like, mining operation, mining uh, Ethereum and Zcash. I started that in, like, January of 17 and did that for the next year and a half or so. And then I joined my first uh, crypto firm, uh, like, late, 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 right around Christmas of 2017. And I never looked back. And uh, before starting Hyperlane, I spent uh, three years co-leading the investment team at Galaxy, if you guys are familiar with the uh, Galaxy Digital, Mike mm-hmm. Novogratz's firm. Yeah. And before that was at this firm that I'd mentioned, Passport Capital. And so it's been an amazing five years uh, in crypto. And they kind of, in that time, I had worked with uh, some very, <clears throat> very successful networks and companies, some that were very successful. Oh, excuse me one second. Ah, sorry, got something in my throat. Very successful companies that later on ended up going completely off the rails and some companies that were never, ever successful. So I really got to see the full gamut of uh, what does it look like to grow and scale an operation in crypto. And uh, in the beginning of this year, we started Hyperlane. So now I am the uh, co-founder and CEO here at Hyperlane and um, excited to tell you guys all about it. Wow, it's really an amazing story. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing this. Yeah, I think it you you are also in a very unique position. Yeah, because you you know both sides. Yeah, you know the side of a, a project founder and also a venture capitalist. So <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty interesting also to see your your thoughts on the on the current uh, VC space because uh, we recognize that went into the wrong direction yeah, during the last years in this area and also the the current early valuations of projects is, is growing and growing like crazy and uh, i have the feeling that yeah the, it's it's more more the goal to extract valuation than to provide uh, value yeah to the projects yeah? what, what what is your point from from the view of an um, project founder and also your previous experience as a VC? Oh, it's an excellent question. So I'd say kind of like in general, what's happened uh, to explain a little bit of this phenomenon that we all find ourselves impacted by. Um, we've had this industry that starts off from something very esoteric and also at the same time, not very uh, understandable without putting in significant amounts of time. Um, you really had to kind of become an expert. Uh, and so the, fir- the foremost experts that we had in the field were the early project founders. Secondary to them were the early venture capitalists. And behind them is kind of everyone else who wants to get involved. And so over the last five years, you know, we saw one rise of this uh, throughout 2017 and then kind of ending in early 2018. And then another larger, more monumentous cycle kind of ensue really around, uh, you know, late 2020, right after it started sort of summer of 2020 with uh, Compound's launch and really compounds, and sorry, that's a bad use of word there, but really grew uh, in 2021, kind of leading into, say, a late November 2021 uh, peak. Mm-hmm. 
And throughout all that time, we have some, some things that were changing much faster than others. And so what was changing very, very fast was the level of interest in crypto, both in terms of like what people want to spend their time on, but also with their dollars, whether it was um, individuals buying crypto assets, uh, all sorts of funds, whether they were crypto native funds or just like totally traditional investors, even like boring old, not even like head, you know, more like uh, low return seeking investors were all pouring their attention and their money into crypto. And what was changing not nearly as fast was the base of things you wanted to buy. Um, and so there's kind of like this massive mismatch between the demand for crypto mm -hmm. and the supply of really high quality things in crypto. And that drove the prices up, of, you know, right? Like economics that we're all familiar with. We have this massive mismatch and that mismatch drove a massive increase in prices across the board. As those prices continue to increase, now people realize like, wait a second, I might be able to do very little and I can now extract from these uh, from these investors, you know, mm -hmm. incredible terms, terms that probably we don't deserve. Um, and going back to that point about like, who are the, mo you know, you, you kind of saw this flow of money and information between uh, people that had lots of money, but very little information about this esoteric industry, all the way to people who did not maybe had some like were lacking in money, but had all the information. And so in one regard, it was investors outside of crypto funding crypto funds, uh, right? So you can think of that as like going one step higher in the information and transferring that money over. And then those crypto, uh, crypto funds finding crypto founders who, again, are one step higher on a kind of specific expertise and the money flowing in that direction. And it got to a situation where basically, like, if someone had demand for crypto, all you had to do was demonstrate to them that you have much more information, much more expertise than they did, and you could extract uh, money from them. And, like, more often than not, I think a lot of times it was, like, genuine uh, people doing it in a genuine way, actually hoping to build something, but there was no shortage of people who clearly knew that they were taking advantage of the situation, sometimes maliciously and sometimes not. And that's where kind of we are today, where that demand, even though it feels like it's subsiding a lot, it, it still hasn't. Um, it is still considered, like demand in today, in November of 2022, is still way higher than it was in November of 2019. Uh, and that's a good thing. It's not the best thing if you are simply trying to kind of like find the best opportunities and as an, as an investor. And so from my point of view there is that like, yes, times are still difficult. Like the life of a crypto investor has gotten way harder over the last two years uh, because of all the things we just talked about. Like there has been a tremendous growth on the demand side, not enough growth and like the supply of really high quality teams, high quality projects. And so now the level of competition is much higher. Uh, and also the prices are higher because of this mismatch. From the perspective of a crypto founder, it is actually a really, really good time to be here because this heightened level of interest means that there's more talent to choose from. 
uh, right? Like the, the world is sort of your oyster. As long as you are demonstrating real progress, you are able to get the funding that you need in many cases, obviously not in every case. And certainly the funding climate, I would say, is now much more difficult than it was even just eight months ago. But that's probably a good thing because eight months ago it was a bit too frothy. Uh, and so we simultaneously have a situation that like feels really good for if you're a founder, does not feel as good if you're an investor. But I think long term it should be good for investors because it just means like that the uh, sort of the cream will be able to rise to the top from the founder side. Uh, and it's all in any, if you're a crypto enthusiast, if it's an industry you care about because either you're uh, just passionate about it, it's because whether it's because you own uh, crypto assets yourself, regardless, I think like it's very difficult to not feel um, very positively, very bullish about like the long-term prospects of crypto, giving everything we're seeing today. And that's even with the context of something like this very unfortunate FTX debacle that we've all been, uh, you know, seeing for the last two weeks. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think, I think uh, I've seen also a trend that many uh, VCs trying to offer mm, yeah, additional services, yeah? like uh, providing running validators yeah, to spin up the initial chain or uh, having some other services in, in terms of consulting or leverage their their neck here to to create additional value yeah and i think it's it's really a hard battle right now yeah because raising money is not really the, the challenge yeah so getting dollars is is quite easy but uh, i think it, it will be also a battle around the, those additional uh, services that a partner could offer yeah Totally. That uh, you're you're so right, and I'll tell you, you know, for the audience is listening. If you're not familiar with like the inner workings of uh, crypto firms right now, basically every every firm that wants to compete is really trying to uh, to bolster its offering beyond just the dollars, right? Um, and I can tell you, someone who was around kind of throughout the previous cycles, like that wasn't the case late 2018, early 2019. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to back uh, teams that have done like very well, as I mentioned before, teams have done very well, teams that have done very well and then have done poorly and teams who just always have done poorly. And there are teams who today who people think of in the highest, highest of terms, but have had a very difficult time and they would have basically taken uh, any, any, any credible investor, meaning like, where there's never any doubt about the source of the funds and it seems like they're an upstanding citizen, not like an actual criminal, they would just take their money, right? Uh, today, Solana is a household name. OpenSea is a household name. Polygon is a household name. But these were not popular investments for their first investors. These are not teams that had an easy time raising. And people, it's very easy to forget that and just think that they've always were destined to do great things. Like, not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Um Meanwhile, today, like today, because again, that demand and supply mismatch is still so strong, um, people actually are, are much more choosy. You know, I can tell you even in our case, um, we were very fortunate to have a lot of demand for our fundraise, um, you know, some months ago when we did it. 
And we had to turn down people who I think are absolutely incredible simply because, like, we couldn't raise – there's a limit to how much uh, money you can take, right, and how much of your enterprise you're willing to uh, to part with. Um, and we just – we couldn't get everyone in. We had some incredible people, and it's, like, not their fault. Uh, there just wasn't enough to go around. Uh, and I, I hear that from my other friends. Amazing. Are, uh, Amazing, yeah. Yeah, I think right? it, like, it also – I think it also depends on the project itself, yeah. So that totally. brings me that brings me brings me back to the the original topic, yeah. Hyperlane, yeah. Let's talk about your project. And so you you're creating this uh, cross chain interchain highway, and uh, when I think about interconnections between blockchains yeah so there are two things that that came to my mind yeah which are existing yeah one is the traditional bridge and the other side are those uh, yeah let's say app chain or layer zero platforms like the cosmos ibc or the Polkadot parachain ecosystem um, where is hyperlane positioned in this overall picture Oh, excellent, excellent question. So I'll start by answering the specific question and I'll go deeper into Hyperlane. So it's surprised like where it's positioned, it's we are trying to some extent um, kind of build out our own access, but I'd say we are definitely somewhere in between uh, something like a layer zero because you can use Hyperlane to perform services like that. You can use Hyperlane to uh, bridge assets, whether it's through like bridges that will be built with Hyperlane or um, we allow you to create tokens that never need to be bridged and can just kind of like natively move between all the networks that are connected to Hyperlane, all the, you know, all the chains on the, on the interchain highway. Uh, and at the same time, we draw heavily. So one of our original creators is Zaki Manian from the Cosmos World, co-author of IBC. And we really love what IBC is doing. We think it is kind of an incredible way to build interoperability, but at the same time, it's very, very rigid. IBC works very well if you conform to its rules, which, you know, you need to build a blockchain that, uh, you know, the Cosmos SDK is one way to build it. Uh, it results in a chain that uh, can support light client verification and has fast finality and has some other properties. But we know based on like where activity has been in the last like two years, not every blockchain that has activity fits that description. And so what we wanted to create is sort of a network between all blockchains that exist today, all blockchains that will exist in the future, a network that is modular such that uh, the developers who use it for their own applications are never left behind. And more importantly, a network that lets application developers create what we call interchain apps, right? These are apps that you as a user can interface with from any chain that you're on. And what happens in the background is like the interaction might involve a, you know, one chain, two chains, 10 chains, whatever it is. Like interoperability at its core is a piece of infrastructure. And our issue, my issue in particular, 
is that in crypto, all of us deal with infrastructure way more often than we do than with any other like technology that we use in our life. Uh, we just don't really think about it. We don't, we're not as bothered by it because for the most part, if you were early in crypto, dealing all, with all this infrastructure has made you money. So that money is kind of like a nice sweetener for the sourness of having to deal with all this infrastructure. But that's what Hyperlane is trying to change. It's trying to let application developers bring their app to the front and put the infrastructure in the back. And we do that primarily by abstracting um, the interoperability part from the user and we transfer that to the app. All right. Yeah, I think that's very important also yeah, to achieve someday a mass adoption of, of blockchain tech. Yeah, that's really important work you guys do. Um, could you give us a, a high level overview about the architecture of your platform? So what are the essential parts in the system? What, are, what is required on the, on the different blockchains here to, to make this happen? Of course, of course. So Hyperlane is fairly simple uh, if you like sketched it out. And there are three big parts to it. The first part are our mailboxes. They do exactly what they sound like. They uh, send and receive mail between blockchains. And from a developer's perspective, the mailbox is kind of like the, the on-chain API that you work with and connect your contract to between all the chains that you want to support. And they kind of act, again, as connective tissue between different blockchains. Uh, on every blockchain, we have the second part of the architecture, our validators. These validators are specific to every blockchain meaning that it's not like, let's say there's 10 chains in the Hyperlane network and there's one validator set and the same validator set looks at all 10 chains. There are as many uh, validator sets as there are chains because every set sits on that same chain. It puts its stake on that same chain. That's very, very important because it means that you get uh, verifiable fraud proofs and permissionless latching which is a super unique feature that this is the only way that you can get that. And we can get into what that feature means a little bit uh, later if you'd like. And so what these validators do is once a message arrives at the mailbox, if it looks valid, each validator on their own decides if it looks valid to them. If so, they sign that message. And now once a quorum of them, say more than two thirds have signed, we move to our third part of the system. This part is totally off-chain. Uh, it's a role called the relayer. This role is totally permissionless. Unlike the validators, which require a stake, anyone can uh, run a relayer. It does not require a stake. We have open source the software to do so. Some of the early Hyperlean applications are already uh, experimenting with running their own relayers, and we expect a market of relayers to form. But all the relayer does is it also looks at that mailbox. It sees, hey, all right, you know, John's sending a message. Looks like a bunch of validators signed it, so it looks all good. And it looks like John is willing to pay me X for the processing of this message. So then I, as the relayer, I take that from its origin and I take it to its destination or destinations because, you know, there might have several. And then I initiate the processing and now that message um, basically hits the mailbox on the destination chain. Uh, 
and then it's off to its, you know, whether its destination is an end user, you know, like an EOA, an externally owned um, account, or it might be uh, just another contract. And that's it. That's really kind of like how Hyperlane works. It's these three moving parts, the mailboxes, the validators, and the relayers. Oh, and one part I forgot to mention is the part that we think is what really makes Hyperlane so unique. Uh, we've created this second layer of security that we call sovereign consensus. And this layer is configurable by each uh, application. And it allows them to configure how they want to accept messages. It lets them set their own security model. And so think of the example where I just gave where like I send the message. Well, that app can choose uh, how to accept it. So they can say that they require their own designated signer. And so that way they, uh, it doesn't matter what say a thousand validators say, if their designated signers aren't included, that cannot be, pro that message can't be processed. So it will never, uh, never reach its destination. It'll basically be blocked. Uh, they can include like an optimistic model. So you can imagine, let's say if it's a very large transfer, they might say, you know what, we wanna wait 10 hours and we want to let people in our community inspect this to make sure that it's not like a, an exploit or a malicious transaction and only then process it. Uh, and in the future, these um, you, you could incorporate different security models through this because anyone can write their own module. Uh, we will provide a menu of such modules. And as a developer, you can say, like, you can implement different ones based on the action the user is taking. So if you imagine like going to your bank and wanting to get a few dollars out of there, they'll ask for your PIN number, but that's it. And if you try and take out your entire account, they really interrogate you. They won't let you just take it all. You're gonna have to spend a couple hours there. And so similarly with Hyperlane, if you have a transaction that is moving around just a few dollars, maybe you only use the validators. But if you have a transaction that's going to drain an account, you might send it through the optimistic model. Uh, but so that provides like a comprehensive overview of how the system works. Question from CryptoBros. On what basis were the security models selected? Which sovereign consensus then allows application to select and configure? So to that question, um, there's actually, um, so, there are models that we will build. We call these interchain security modules or ISMs. We are going to create the several first ones that we're going to create include an optimistic model, as I'd mentioned before. Another includes the designated signer model, uh, but actually anyone could write their own ISM. And so there is no barrier to writing new ones. And then each application selects which one to use. So Hyperlane does not force any developer to use any of them or, um, so in that sense, there's kind of no barrier there. If, obviously, if you have another question, uh, definitely drop it in the chat. Uh, and then to your question, how does Hyperlane focus on shifting the burden of interoperability from end users to applications? That is another great question. Uh, the way that we do that is by, um, we kind of give developers the tools to handle interoperability in such a way that their users just send regular commands. The users don't have to switch chains unless the app wants them to. 
so we sh primarily shift that burden by giving developers the tools to do it on the behalf of their users. Uh, sorry, Andrew, um, while you were away, I just started answering some of the questions in the chat there. Uh, we sorted that out. I'm happy to answer some more of these uh, questions. Joseph, to your next question on what kind of attacks the protocol would be vulnerable to. Uh, so the, the, the one we are most concerned by, and this is the, like the thing that became the impetus to build uh, sovereign, con or one of the impetus for building sovereign consensus, is that in the case of interoperability, you're basically operating like a narrowly scoped Oracle network and uh, only relying on the validators. So an app that only relies on validators and um, the damage that can be done to the app is greater than what the uh, collective stake of the validators, that's a, that's a real attack. So imagine like your app has say $100 million of damage that can be done to it, but the collective validator stake is only like 80 million. Then now there's an actual economic argument uh, to do that. And so that's why we hope that uh, apps that have high stakes will use sovereign consensus because sovereign consensus is optional. So we're not going to force anyone to use it. So that is an attack. And in the original, uh, in the first first version, we are about to launch our second version in a couple of weeks here. And the first version of the relayers, relayers were exposed to griefing attacks, uh, meaning that like you could get them to spend um, their gas tokens, which is obviously very unpleasant. So that was an attack that we had to deal with too. I, I have uh, one one more question, which is maybe a stupid question, but maybe you could could uh, give a bit a, a little bit insight uh, to the difference um, compared to an oracle, for example. Yeah, would would uh, oracle provider like Chainlink, for example, able to provide a, a similar approach? And if yes, what are the differences? Yeah. Excellent question. Uh, so. Actually, pretty much uh, every form of interoperability, like, so if you think about the problem that we're solving, the most fundamental one that we're solving is that blockchains can't uh, communicate with the outside world. And, you know, one way we're familiar with that problem is the Oracle problem. Like, a blockchain doesn't really know anything about what's happening outside of it. Mm -hmm. And so very similar to Oracle protocols like Chainlink, Hyperlane is actually oracleizing information. The main difference is that uh, Chainlink in a, in a broad oracle uh, or a general oracle is trying to give you all the information in the world. And so the trade-offs it needs to make, the design choices it needs to make, uh, need to fit just need to fit something that could give you good information about like, say the weather in London uh, the score of like the first World Cup game and what happened on Cosmos. And those three are very, very different things. Whereas if you think of what Hyperlane is, what interoperability protocols are, they, um, if you really just care about what new state has been written and what state already exists on a different blockchain, you are oracleizing information, but you're a very narrowly scoped oracle. And so that allows you to specialize just in that specific, uh, in that specific case. And you can make trade-offs that we think are way more appealing that a generalized Oracle could never do because 
if you think of what blockchains are, blockchains are systems that introduce constraints to the previously unconstrained uh, digital world. And you have to operate within those constraints, right? Like compute isn't free. Memory isn't free. Bandwidth isn't free. And you have to figure out like how to do them and being able to only focus on uh, reading and writing blockchain states between blockchains makes us, uh, I think, have a much better solution than like a generalized Oracle ever would. Uh, but if a generalized Oracle wanted to basically take what they're good at and narrow it down and really only focus on this, there is technically no reason why they couldn't do it as, uh, as well. And from there on out, it's like who can build the most usable system, the most secure system, the, the best tools for developers, etc. cetera. Um, but I think uh, any, if you're ever in like in the interoperability game and someone that has like a validator system tells you that what they're doing is not oracleizing, they either don't know what they're doing or they're lying. Uh, so I'm very <laughs> glad you asked that. That's a very good question. Very okay. okay, great. Would, would this be an option for future, uh, future feature sets of Hyperlane to offer also off-chain data? It's a feature? Uh, yeah. Like so it's not something that we're thinking about kind of in the short term because of kind of what I mentioned, right? Like it does change the trade-offs, but so with Hyperlane, we are trying to build a modular interoperability platform. And first we're interoperating between all blockchains, but later I think it's going to be important that we interoperate with non-blockchain systems. And what sovereign consensus lets us do is you can have the same app, using specific security modules when it deals with specific chains and use different security modules that take different trade-offs and maybe one of those security. So like we could incorporate uh, something like a chain link Oracle feed as a, uh, as one of our modules, right? Like that's something we could definitely partner with them to do. And so now you can kind of wrap into one, both interoperability between blockchains and interoperability with, off-chain systems into the same protocol. Uh, and the use of sovereign consensus will allow us to kind of minimize the negative trade or like the unfavorable trade-offs that we have to make. Okay, yeah, very interesting, very interesting approach. Okay, so uh, another question from my side would be um, if you have different blockchains, yeah, and you have your, your information on, on different, uh, yeah, let's say conditions, because those, those blockchains behave in a quite different way. Um, how, how do you synchronize those messages? Yeah. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's the reason why uh, this is hard to do. And we only like doing things that are hard to do. Um, but so it actually is different between, uh, it really does differ between from chain to chain. And so like, uh, I'm happy to give the, the folks here some like uh, some foresight. But right now, we are working on versions of Hyperlink to support the Solana VM, to support the Fuel VM, uh, to, and to support the Cosmos SDK. Oh. And each one of those brings its own challenges and its own differences. And so things that work for us in the EVM are not going to work directly in the Solana VM, but might work fairly well in the Cosmos uh, case. Similarly, things are going to work at Fuel that are not going to work in the other places and things are going to work in Cosmos. 
Um, and so it's very, the, I guess it's sort of a non-answer, right? But the only way I can answer, like, it is very hard. And it, uh, there for us, like, the two levels where that synchronization happens is by, like, making specific different actions in the mailboxes to accommodate for the different environments and making changes with the relayers to accommodate for the different environments. Um, I see. Which is, I see. yeah, and a big benefit to us from really open sourcing everything has been uh, now when, while we're building it, we are actually getting support from people who are, you know, bigger experts in these ecosystems than we are. Uh, it's been really wonderful. It's like helped us. Uh, we are getting help from like Solana experts, from Cosmos experts who uh, are just submitting, you know, pull requests to our GitHub. And so it's just, uh, it's, it's really cool to see. That sounds really amazing. Yeah. So uh, currently you are uh, integrated into the EVM chains. Uh, which blockchains are currently supported? Uh, so right now, we are live on the mainnets and testnets of Ethereum, of Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, Polygon, Avalanche, Binance, Celo, and Moonbeam. Um, and so those are all live and working today. So any Hyperlane app that you have could support any one of those chains. And uh, there's probably four to six more uh, that'll be added in the next few months. And um, actually what I think is our most exciting feature, um, pretty soon, I'd say before, the ne before next year's over, anyone will be able to add Hyperlane to any blockchain. Uh, and that would, that, that would basically be like the, the first interoperability platform in crypto that uh, can be permissionlessly deployed. Amazing, amazing. So thank you very much. Um, another question concerning the, the current state of the development. Could you give us uh, an overview about your roadmap? So where you are standing right now? So mm -hmm. what's, what's next? And uh, how, how can we contribute maybe as a community yeah, to to the different stages. Terrific. So I'd say uh, because we don't have like infinite time, the best way, if you want, we actually put out our first update just last week and it answers uh, for the most part, everything that you just mentioned, it'll cover everything that we've been doing to date, the things we're working on now that are gonna be coming quite soon. And um, some of the more longer dated, like, hey, this is gonna be, you know, Like, this is what you can expect in a month. This is what you can expect in three months. This is what you can expect in six months. Um, but most recently, uh, where we are is we just released a few very big features in the last few months. The most recent of those uh, we call Interchain Queries. Interchain Queries is a very cool feature. It lets you, as a developer or user on one chain, verify information that is present on any other uh, chain in the Hyperlane network. So you can imagine like we just talked about the Oracle case. So like, oh, you might, maybe you want to retrieve the price of Moonbeam from Moonbeam. So now you can do that uh, with Hyperlane. Maybe you just want to retrieve like uh, who owns what ENS name. So you can do something more interesting on Polygon. 
So that is something that you can do. Uh, that's with this latest feature of interchain queries. Fairly recently before that, we launched um, interchain accounts, another very cool feature. Uh, interchain accounts let developers uh, basically execute functions on remote chains without ever having to deploy a contract on those chains. So up until then, this hyperlane and pretty much every other interoperability platform required developers to uh, write contracts on sending chains and on receiving chains. Uh, there was no way to communicate or execute functions uh, away from your origin chain without deploying contracts there. Interchain accounts change that. What they allow a developer to do, or really anyone to do, is to designate a contract on one chain and then define it as the owner of contracts on every chain that Hyperlane supports. Uh, so you can imagine like a DAO, a parent DAO, say on Ethereum, owning child DAOs on the other Hyperlane chains. You could like use it for governance. You could use it for uh, all sorts of things like moving money around. Uh, so those are two features that were very recently launched. The most recent product that we've launched is our Message Explorer. So if you're navigating the interchain space, you're using Hyperlane and apps that run on Hyperlane, well, like, you send a message, what happens if it doesn't get processed? Uh, until, until the middle of October, we did not have uh, a solution with a very friendly interface. But now we have our Message Explorer. You can check it out at explorer.hyperlane.xyz. Um, it not only does it like show you the status of all messages being sent and kind of like how long did they take. So, um, it'll, if something fails, it helps you kind of debug things. Uh, and this has been very, very useful for our developers who all kind of like are super happy to have this, uh, new product out as it's make, making developing with Hyperlane way easier than it already was. Another feature that uh, we are, you know, we just released, but it's still like not, uh, I wouldn't say it's done yet, is what we're calling the unified liquidity interface. Basically an ability to let developers tap into all sorts of interchain liquidity just with like a single API. Then what we have coming up in the pipeline, I referenced not too long ago, our second version. So the V2 of Hyperlane. Uh, is coming in December, probably right before Christmas. So it'll be a nice uh, nice gift from our team to our team, probably. Uh, it introduces the first instantiation of sovereign consensus. It also unifies our mailbox, which right now mailboxes are separate. Uh, there's an outbox and an inbox. In V2, they become a single contract, which again makes development uh, a little bit simpler and easier. Everything we do here is from a mindset of like, I'm hyper-focused on having the best developer experience. Our users are developers, and we want to make it easiest for them to use us so they can focus on just building the best apps for their users. We don't want, like, we are not trying to build something that makes their life more complex. If it doesn't make their life easier, it's just we're not building it. Um, that makes sense, yeah. V2 introduces a lot of those things. Um, and then the other two big things we're working on, one should also be delivered in December. It's what we're calling the, the trade route API. So we're building like this interchain highway. That's great. It's this network between all, uh, all the chains that we support. 
but we want to make it even easier for people to put uh, trade routes between their apps and new chains so they can put uh, their assets on there, other people's assets, whatever they need to. Um, and basically, like the trade route API allows you to create assets that are natively interchain, whether they are NFTs or like fungible tokens. You put them into the API or create them through the API. And now those assets never have to be bridged. They can just move uh, seamlessly between any blockchain that Hyperlink supports. Um, and the last big feature is what I mentioned. It's this idea of permissionless deployment. You can already, anyone can already deploy Hyperlane on any chain, but it's not easy. And so what we're working on now is truly productizing this feature and allowing anyone to deploy it themselves without, um, without the need for our involvement or help. And so those are really the biggest things that are going on now. Uh, if you're a developer, there's a bunch of ways that you can help out. I'd say the most impactful would be helping us kind of bring Hyperlane to new environments. Uh, if you aren't, there's a bunch of ways you can still be helpful. Uh, first, just like join our Discord and be a part of what's going on. Uh, second, like we're always looking for people to help us with content. So any anyone who wants to help there, just uh, shoot me a message, either on Twitter, Discord, anywhere you know to find me. Uh, and those are probably the main ways other than like being, being excited and being part of our community. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So <clears throat> we are close to one, one hour. Yes. Yeah? So I think, uh, to be, to be respectful of your time, we uh, can, can have one or two more questions if, if this is okay for you and then Certainly. we wrap things up. Perfect. Um, so um, concerning those developer uh, efforts, do you have some incentive programs currently to attract new developers building on top of, of Hyperlane? Yes. Uh, so the one that we have live right now, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but so we're, we're very big believers in like the, you know, people just starting at home and kind of experimenting. And we love hackathons for that reason, because they give you a chance to just kind of have like a low stakes I'm going to try and build this thing. And so we have created a program that we call the Permathon. And what it is, it's uh, an ongoing Hyperlane hackathon. And every month, we are going to give the best submission a grand prize of uh, 5,000 USDC. Or even if you wanted to receive it in like in, in Tether or die, uh, I'm sure we'll be able to accommodate but um, this is an incentive for people building the best submission. All they have to do once they've submitted it um, is just give us information about it, demo, show how it uses Hyperlane, and then be willing to talk to us about their experience in building with Hyperlane. And so that is the first program that's live now. There is another program that I can't give too much, uh, develop so much information on. All I can tell you is that developers and applications that use Hyperlane will become owners in Hyperlane. Uh, and that's kind of all we can say about, uh, about that, given where we are now. But uh, stay tuned for more information on that front. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this insight. Indeed. So maybe to close this uh, thing up, um, we were talking about validators, and I guess uh, those validators need to stake some collateral That's yeah, right. to secure this. Um, so I guess there will be some kind of token involved. Do you have some, some information about this 
token or the use case of the token? Anything you can disclose so far? Yeah, so uh, there will be like, as I mentioned, right, Hyperlane, one of its security measures is a proof of stake protocol. Uh, but also what we want to introduce, if you've been familiar with uh, Eigenlayer's amazing work on restaking, we mm -hmm. are very big fans there. And so we're going to also add like elements of restaking to allow people to leverage security from their own assets or security from larger assets like Ethereum. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had Sriram on the oh, AMA nice. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wonderful guy. We like him yeah it's really a very smart and, and great guy. Yeah. So we really enjoyed this discussion. Yeah. That's, that's great that you are also in touch with them. Yeah. Yeah, we like them. We uh, we think what they're doing is really incredible. Awesome, awesome. So, did we miss any important point? Should we should so. we touch on uh, something? I think we touched on most of everything. I'm sure that there's other things that uh, we could talk about. Uh, you know, I obviously like I spend most of my life doing this, so I'm happy to. Uh, <laughs> You know, I could talk about it all day and I unfortunately can talk too much as I'm sure everyone uh, who is listening has noticed. So I, I try, but, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'd say just like if you care, about, if you're interested, like just follow us on Twitter or like jump in the Discord and that's the best place to kind of stay abreast. And uh, obviously we're always happy to uh, come in and just give more information and like do another AMA. Perfect, John. Yeah, it was really, really great to talk to you and learn more about Hyperlane. And we've learned so much today. It's, it's really impressive. So we need to digest all those informations now. <laughs> and I thank you very much for your time. It was great having you. And I hope yeah, we can uh, continue yeah, with a second part when you maybe have some news or some new releases of, of your product. I would love that. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you Andrews, for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, like don't be shy if you wanted to learn anything about Hyperlane, just uh, shoot me or Hyperlane or just jump in the Discord and we'll, uh, we'll try and get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. Great. Thank, Thank you so very much. much. Have a nice day. And to all the listeners, please give us a like and a retweet to spread the word about this great project. So thank you very much for listening in and see you in the next one. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.